Hello and welcome to Kohler Commentary. This is Unji and I'm super excited because today we have an unbelievable guest on the podcast, Jane Park. If you guys don't know, she is a TikTok famous mom, but more than that, she is a digital content creator and a mom of two based in Seattle. Jane was a former TV news reporter and then she stumbled onto TikTok at the height of the pandemic where she shares relatable parenting joys and woes. She's a proud Korean American who is teaching her kids to love their culture and community, often sharing that journey with her social media audience. Jane grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles and has lived all over the U.S., including in New York, Chicago, D.C., and Michigan, before moving back to the West Coast. I followed Jane in 2020 when social unrest was rising in the country and I felt stuck at how to figure out how to even ally in this time as a new mom whose mind was always somewhere else. I loved watching her videos as she talked about real topics with her kids and how she honed in on her Asian American identity through it all. I can't believe she's agreed to come on the pod with me and I'm super excited to get to know her further and be even more inspired. So without further ado, welcome Jane. Thank you, Angie, for having me. Thank you for coming. I am a little starstruck talking to you. Don't be. You have over 3 million followers on TikTok. And I think just a lot of ways that you have been an inspiration just virtually to me. So I really appreciate you taking this time to be here today after the busy day with your kids and your family. Oh, thank you. That's so kind. Of course. Many of you know you as a famous TikTok mom, but I also would love for you to kind of take this time to introduce yourself fully. Who is Jane Park? Jane Park, Jane King, um, <laughs> wanted you to have that floor right now. Thank you, Angie. I know there's a lot of confusion with my name. I just go by Jane Park. Okay. Um, I do have a Korean name, Kyungju. It's also my middle name, like yours, Angie. But most of my life in spaces outside of the home, I've been known as Jane. I am a mom of two. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have been staying home for about three years now. Um, we moved to Seattle from Ann Arbor, Michigan back in 2019. And at that time, I had been working full-time all of my married and young mom life. But when we decided to move to Seattle, we were relocating because of my husband's work. And my daughter, who was three at the time, had a lot of needs, a lot of medical needs and therapy needs. And she always needed one flexible parent. So when I was working full time, it was really hard to flex my schedule and kind of fit all that in. My husband thankfully had a you know more flexible job, but with the relocation to Seattle and the fact that we wouldn't be near any grandparents or family to kind of help out and support us, I knew that I had to kind of be the flexible parent. And so I made that decision to leave work and be with the kids full time. So my transition into full time staying at home parent mode started in 2019, about nine months before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I was working in healthcare communications and marketing for about three years. And before that, I had a career in local TV journalism. So I worked as a TV reporter and anchor in several TV markets. I was working in Michigan. And then I switched to healthcare when I kind of needed a more quote unquote, journalists will understand this, but a stable job where you're inside a building where I have access to a bathroom anytime I need oh <laughs> access to like regular lunch breaks, things like that. So yeah, 
I've been on TikTok. We'll get into this, but I, I hopped on TikTok in 2020, right at the start of the pandemic when we were all quarantined at home. And it was purely just a fun, creative outlet. And then it snowballed into kind of this platform that I have now, which I'm still figuring out what to do with it, how to use it, and how I want to be moving forward. Yeah, but you know, um, I'm a Korean American. I was born in Boston, grew up in Southern California in a suburb of LA, and then graduate school and work took me to all different places. So finally, we're back on the West Coast, which is a lot closer to family. And sadly, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to travel and, and see family as often as we would have liked, but we're trying to do more of that in 2022. I feel like you've just had such an adventurous career journey. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds really difficult to not have bathroom breaks, but also that sounds like so exciting. Pre-kids, of course, to like be on that journey. What was it like for you personally when you did have to make those decisions to kind of leave the job maybe that mm. you really love to kind of readjust certain things for your family? Yeah. So, you know, when I decided I wanted to become a journalist and, you know, a TV journalist at that, I was single and unattached. So wow. I did not know the kind of adjustments that I would have to make, you know, once I started to have a family or build a family, if you will. I think my dream in the beginning was to make it back to LA, my hometown, and be on the local stations that my parents watch, my grandparents mm. watch, right? That was kind of that dream, a little bit of my parents and grandparents' dream too, as immigrants. But right from the beginning of my career, I very soon was married and I was supporting my husband who was in graduate school at the time. And then we had our first son, maybe about two years into that. So I was always felt like I was kind of juggling or balancing career and family life. So it was not a decision that I made suddenly, but it kind of became clear to me over the life changes that, okay, I have this dream. I really enjoy this work. It's very rigorous yet fulfilling. But when there are other lives and other people that I have to take care of, I also have to think about what makes sense. And really, there was so many factors that I had to take into practical consideration. For example, when my son was born and when I went back to work, when he was about three months old, my husband and I were like ships in the night. He was up at maybe like five in the morning. He was in dental school. So he was oh. driving an hour to dental school. And then I had the mornings with the baby, but then I would leave at about 2.30 in the afternoon for my work that then took me until like 11.30 midnight at night. Oh so my then, goodness. yeah. And so that's kind of how we worked around the clock. And then in terms of like days of the week, my weekend, I think it was like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then my husband would watch the baby on Saturdays and Sundays when I was working. So we did that. And I did that because I wanted to stay in my career and my line of work. And then when we had another baby two years mm -hmm. later, it just was even more difficult. And we were in Michigan, we didn't have any family around to help us. So we were doing daycare and nanny and just trying to figure out all kinds of configurations. So the time that I decided to leave TV news, it didn't feel like a huge loss. It felt like a gain, yeah. actually, because I, I was like, I, I need some more stability 
in my life. And it also was an opportunity for me to kind of expand my skill set and my interests. And because I, I had always thought, oh my goodness, if I'm not reporting on TV, I don't know what else I can do. But it turned out that healthcare communications was a really easy transition for me. And it was actually a very, you know, looking back retrospectively, a wise decision because I didn't know I was going to have a child that would require me to navigate the healthcare system right. and look for specialists and therapists. So it really gave me the knowledge and kind of language to navigate that for her. So I, I do feel that none of the twists and turns in my life were random. And yeah. at no point do I feel that I regret leaving, you know, what used to be my career aspirations. I would say it just kind of evolved as I evolved. Were you and your husband able to like stay in love with each other during those early? Not, I mean, that's like a blunt way of just like, oh my gosh, that just sounds like so much change and so little time. And then you said ships passing through the night, it would be so hard to even find that time to be together. I'm just, yes, would love to hear a little bit of a sneak peek on the marriage part of it. Yeah, the marriage was, you know what, I think we were always appreciative to do life together because we mm -hmm. dated for a long time and for almost the entire time we were long distance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my husband and I were good friends before we decided to start dating. But once we decided that we wanted to pursue a relationship, I went off to grad school and I said, oh, hey, I, um, this is great, but I'm still going to go to Chicago for grad school. And, and we were living in LA at the time. And um, he was like, yep, that's fine. I support you. So I kind of went off. And then it took four years to finally figure out how we were going to get married and be in the same place. And ironically, that place was Michigan, where neither of us had any ties, but it happened to be where I got my second TV job. And um, he was able to go to grad school there. And by the time we were raising kids, we only had each other to rely on. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any relatives or family to help unless they were visiting us and helping us out. And, and we did do that and rely on that help several times. But yeah, I think we were kind of in a mode where we were both pursuing our careers and trying to get to that place where we could live, I guess, you know, we were kind of in this mode where we were looking at the goal. Like my husband was trying to graduate, become a dentist. And so we always had our eyes set on what the next Thing was. And then when, once we finally relocated to Seattle, where he was working full time at his practice, that kind of was the breather for us. Like, okay, mm -hmm. we can kind of now just do life and really kind of settle in and become members of the community and settle down, put down roots. Because before then, we were kind of always living this transient life, two years here, two years there, and looking at that next milestone. It was hard, but I really think it was just one, just life. <laughs> like we have to keep going, yeah. right? And then just remembering where we were. It's like, my gosh, we're just happy to be able to do life together and not be on opposite ends of the country like we were mm -hmm. when we were dating. So yeah, I feel like every kind of stage in our life was a little bit more revealed to us kind of doing things one step at a time, I think. Yeah, I feel like it's not like a good thing, but the long distance definitely prepped you guys for the long distance 
parenting kind of, yes. of like the beginning. So that's really good that you still were able to maintain that teamwork. My husband is actually finally ending residency this year. So then we'll get to do that part where it's like, oh, now we're like done with the training portion and yes. looking forward to the rooting ourselves. So I'm excited for that. And I know well. the medical training is so much more grueling and longer mm-hmm. than it's longer, but I know all of them are super difficult in their own ways for sure. Yes. So then you guys decided to finally move to Seattle and that's where the roots were going to be set for community and for you guys as a family. Before we get into all of the TikTok craze, what was just like that transition for you becoming a Seattle mom in a new city where you also wanted to find community as well and like grow your family? It was really hard. I think I had romanticized it a little Mm. bit because I was burnt out from working full time and being a mom. So I was looking to Seattle as being this rest and reprieve from Mm. that burnout, but I wasn't prepared for the challenges of being home 24-7 with two young kids. They were three Mm. and five at the time, and it was the summer, and I had no summer plans. And you know, I didn't know the city or the area that we were moving to. So really, when we moved, it was, um, we didn't have a house. So we were in a rental home, and then it was just me and the two kids all day, every day. And I think within two weeks of of being here, I started looking for jobs and I started applying. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, I I was like, oh, you know, maybe that was a mistake. I'm going to just see what's Mm. out there and maybe I can get a job. I don't know, working remotely or kind of ironic, right? Now, remote work is the norm. Right, right. But I was like, well, maybe I can, you know, I just need something, I think, Mm. for myself. I just really don't know what to do as a mom and have this unstructured day. Mm. Um, in the beginning, I think I was trying to like do too much and be too mm. much, right? And I thought this is going to come or it should come easily and naturally to me. Because I always felt that, I think a lot of moms feel this when you're working full time, like I am not great at being mom at home. I'm not giving them my best. And then the fact that I'm raising young kids, I'm not bringing my best to the office. So mm. I thought with that external work factor out of the picture that I would be bringing my best every day, every new day. And that was not the case at all. I found myself just dreading waking up, right? And just thinking if I stay in bed 30 minutes longer, that's 30 minutes less that I have to be on mom mode for the rest of the day. And yeah, that transition was really hard. We did have some friends in Seattle when we moved, but a lot of them were not terribly close to us geographically. We were in the city and all of our friends were in the suburbs and we would see them on Sundays or the weekends at church, we found a Korean American church pretty quickly and got connected that way. And that was a big help because that's where we saw other families kind of in our life situation, families with kids of the same age, and they were also Korean American. And that's something that we didn't have back in Michigan or have as much of. So I think those early months of us being in a new city, and then for me, like a very, very different life style took a lot of adjustment. And and we did actually, my husband and I had a lot of conflict those early months, I would say like the first six months. So I'm assuming you did not end up trying to actually find a job, even though you did look like I can absolutely empathize with sometimes I'm just like searching during nap time, like what are some things I can do? But 
were there any things that you spoke over yourself or reminded yourself during that time to like help you get into the headspace of where you needed to be? You know, I had to keep reminding myself of why I decided to stay home. And really, it was for my kids to be more present with them. My son was going to start kindergarten. And then my daughter really needed somebody dedicated at home. And I wanted to be more present because when I was working full time, I was just frazzled all the time. So my daughter has some developmental delays and mm-hmm. she we started early intervention with her when she was about eight or 10 months. So very early on. But my priority when we moved to Seattle was getting her IEP, her individualized education mm-hmm. plan transitioned from, you know, like our Ann Arbor school district right. to Seattle school district, getting her enrolled in a preschool. They have developmental preschool Mm -hmm. where they can get those services and, um, and then getting all of our medical team established Mm. uh, because we, it was all established in Michigan. And then we kind of just uprooted and reestablished that in Seattle. So I had to remind myself that, you know, this is why I wanted to be home so I could do this. I could have the time and bandwidth to do this without the stress of, you know, a full-time job. A mental load of all of that. Exactly. Yes. And then for so long, I just felt I never got to enjoy my kids during their Mm -hmm. baby stage because we were so busy working and um, it was a hard time, but they were also becoming more fun to spend time with. You know, it was like taking the good with the hard and just reminding myself like, oh, today was a good day. Right. And then, you know, it was also that state, that time in their, I guess, development where they were fighting a lot more. Um, And of course, that got (laughs) that got worse during 2020. Yeah. During the pandemic. Yes. But the sad thing is when when we emerged, they're so big now and they're so old and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, like, did I enjoy them enough? Yeah. So it really was a lesson, like a really long, drawn out lesson in learning to be present and learning to just enjoy them. I think that's like really important for all of us moms to just hear and just to remember to be in that moment because I think it's so hard to do that a lot of the times. It also so you guys moved in 2019 and then 2020 the pandemic started and it sounds like almost at least in the moment I'm sure it's incredibly difficult and we'll go into more details of this TikTok craze but it sounds like it's a kind of like a fun little blessing in disguise to have this other thing to focus on as well where you can continue to share all the journeys you do do with your kids. What did all of this look like and <laughs> tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Did so, you expect all of this? Oh my not God. at all. It was all unexpected, kind of like just really weird, 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 weird. I had a very, very different relationship with social media prior to finding TikTok because mm. I had a career in journalism and, right. and I used Twitter and Facebook to share stories, right? Or disseminate information or to reach out to people um, when I was working stories. And then in terms of the fun kind of aspect of social media, I used it purely as a means to communicate or keep in touch with my friends and family 
back home. But March 2020, when we were all stuck at home, that could not have happened at a worse time for me mentally, because I was just starting to get a hold of my physical health. I had Mm. not worked out regularly since before I was pregnant the first time around. So it had been almost like six years at this point. And Finally, in January 2020, I got a gym membership and I started working out because I had the time finally. And I loved it. I felt like, okay, this is good and I need to work out so I can be mentally and physically fit to be with the kids. And this is my time to kind of regain my health mentally and physically. And then when everything shut down and the gyms were shut down and I didn't know how long I was going to be stuck in the house with the kids, with no school. I was kind of not panicking, but just a little bit worried, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? My best friend in LA, her name is Julie, She, (laughs) I noticed she was doing dances and sharing them on Instagram. And I could tell because I have colleagues who have Gen Z age kids and they would share TikToks that they would do with their kids. And it always always just like a lighthearted, fun type of thing. But then I saw my friend Julie, who's like young professional, doesn't have kids. Like, I'm like, what is she doing on this app? (laughs) And she said, oh my gosh, Jane, I'm having so much fun. You should do it too. And we can burn calories and learn dances. Before that, all I knew about TikTok was, you know, like, oh, kids do dances on here. So that's what we did, like maybe the first two weeks of quarantine. And it was fun for me. It was a creative outlet. The kids would do it with me and we would learn some really like simple choreography. And then it became something that I looked forward to doing Mm -hmm. while in quarantine. And so my friend would send me dance challenges to do and I would learn it and post it. Of course, you know, I would ask her like, is your profile not private? And she's like, no, you want people to discover you. And I'm like, why would I want that? (laughs) And she's like, it's just fun. You know, like that's how you grow. And I'm like, grow, like I am not here to grow or whatever. I'm doing this for exercise. Uh, I don't want anybody to see this. I'll share it like on my Instagram here and there because it's funny. But yeah, nobody outside of my immediate friend or family circle will ever see this. But I I stayed on there. And from there, it became more browsing or scrolling as as you do on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I found lots of like quarantine recipes. We did like the banana bread. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think there was some other TikTok viral recipes like during quarantine, but lots of like COVID information. And so I was just, I was also like consuming the social media, if you will, consuming information and then looking at funny dance trends. So it was a fun diversion during a very uncertain time. And then I stumbled upon what you would call mom TikTok, where I'm seeing Mm. funny content that's making me laugh, you know, and then I started doing lip syncs or finding relatable content. And then it probably wasn't until later that summer where I started experimenting and putting my own mom or parenting experiences in kind of a skit format Mm. and sharing little blips and it was fun to write little bits and share that. Oh, I I forgot to mention before that, I thought, oh, you know what? Like I am going to parlay my TV background, news background into TikTok. So I'm going to do like a news 
update, but yeah. it's going to be very mundane, like quarantine edition. So I did a couple of those, which was a fun experiment. And I actually remember seeing those because <laughs> I didn't say it early, but like when I was like younger, a news anchor was one of my dream jobs. And so mm -hmm. I remember when I stumbled upon your page and it said like former newscaster and you did some like you read off like the screen at times or different things. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like anyway, so it worked putting your own little flair, obviously. Yes. Yeah. And the funny thing is the entire time my my friend Julie, who got me onto TikTok, was telling me, Oh, Jane, you know, you can you can totally do this. And I'm like, what do you what do you mean do this? And she's like, you can make this into a platform, you know, and you can be um, like a mom influencer. I'm like, don't be silly. Like I would I would not do that. That is not for me. And she's like, no, no, no. But you have the background. You know how to work a camera or tell a story through video. And I really think you could do this. So she proved me wrong. <laughs> And yeah. so some of, yeah, all of this like, is kind you're of welcome, Jane. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I do give her credit for where I am today. Wow. And a lot of things are coming together too, as I realize. Sometimes I'm like, how does she think of these role plays? Because you basically, sh Jane acts everything out of her two kids. And it's really funny to watch the opposite personalities they have and all these other things. And so I think I was just very curious to wonder why. How does she do that so quickly? And not that I'm sure it takes time, but I was always like amazed at that quick ability to portray such a funny content and so <laughs> impressed. Thank you. Okay. So with that, I know like at the beginning, it's really exciting to kind of find your flair and also be able to use this as a creative outlet. I'm also curious though, as you became a mom influencer, what became some of like the roadblocks or barriers that you also faced within exploring this platform and becoming a, becoming a big voice within this platform? So I think in the beginning, it was all fun and that's all it was. It was just fun. And then um, the kind of cultural things, it, it was kind of happenstance. It's mm -hmm. because I'm Korean American, because I'm Asian, that's naturally going to seep its way into my content. So, you know, we did a lot of videos where I'm parodying or, you know, I'm telling a funny story about how a Korean lesson goes awry because my kids misunderstand or mispronounce something. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't intentionally to make Korean content, but it's true to me. And then I just didn't know that it would resonate with so many people. In the beginning, it was really fun. And I just had almost felt like a bottomless supply of inspiration. And then I think you reach like this critical point where it starts to feel, I don't want to say work, but maybe like right. work because right. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like what do I do next? What now? Because the first few viral videos are kind of, it's surprising and it's fun. And then it kind of sets the bar. <laughs> Right. And then I'm kind of like scratching my head like, well, what did I do there that became really relatable or funny? 
And how do I replicate that? So, so there's that pressure. Maybe it was in the fall, right before 2021, where I started to think, okay, like, where am I going with this in terms of direction? Is it still going to stay a fun outlet? And I told myself then, if this ever becomes not fun for me anymore, then I'll know it's my time to kind of, okay, I've exhausted it and I will leave. But then at the same time, I had a platform, mm-hmm. you know, I think maybe by the end of 2021, I had about a million followers, I think. And I, and I was really, you know, at a loss of what, you know, what do I, what do I do with this? Um, I started a public Instagram because so many people were coming to my personal Instagram, which is private for obvious reasons. And I didn't want to mix the two. And I figured, okay, there needs to be another place for this content to live. Cause I noticed that a lot of people were reposting videos and they couldn't find or tag me. And for one reason or the other, I, I, I was like, okay, I'm right. going to start the Instagram page. And then once I did that, I realized on Instagram, I can be a little bit more personal and share a little bit more kind of go deeper on my thoughts. And um, it's less of a place to just post funny, relatable one-off type of content. I kind of leverage Instagram to become a more, I guess, fully rounded person Mm. on social media. I think some of the biggest roadblocks were just figuring out what am I going to do with this? Who am I? Right. Mm. And right from the get go, I was always just myself. I was never trying to sell something or sell an image of something. You know, it's common to see comments like, oh, you're such a great mom or whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm not. That's not what I'm trying to do here. All I'm trying to do is share if I had funny moments or I had mishaps. I think those are things that other parents or moms can relate to and feel seen if I post about it. And I also feel seen when I get feedback that, my goodness, the same, your kids are just like mine, or Mm. we just had this, or this is literally our lives right now, right? And it's it's a means to connect. And so I think that's what kept me on there. And then um, it was just, for me, enlightening in so many ways to be on TikTok and to use social media in this way, especially during 2020 and 2021, where there's, there were so many social justice movements and just, just yeah. kind of an uprising in, in the awareness, right, about all the injustices, everything that the pandemic kind of brought right. up because we were all forced to stay at home or all of our lives were kind of halted or slowed down and everything that had always been happening became even more apparent and obvious because it was so much more in our face. And then also I think, you know, the uptick in anti-Asian hate and racism, you know, that coupled with the fact that I now have a platform and I'm so obviously Asian and people are wondering what I think, do I think anything, you know? I felt compelled to then use it and speak up or share content where I probably wouldn't have before. That's a huge, like I had mentioned earlier, just a huge reason I was so attracted to your page and your content was because you were able to do that, not only to your audience, but since it was a reflection of just daily life with your kids, like you were having those conversations with your kids. And I think that's a communication skill that a lot of us didn't grow up with with our parents, not because they didn't want to, right? But it's just not 
something that was practiced. And I think for us, even as all these things were happening, it's like, well, I want to ally. I also want to know how do I do that as specifically an Asian American. And now that things are happening within the Asian American community and like being brought to light, how do we bring that voice? And so I was just amazed with how you were able to do that. I'm curious what your own background was within being able to be so equipped to verbalize these things, not only feel it internally, but know how to speak it because I think that's like a huge barrier for a lot of us. Yeah, you bring up a really good point in that we didn't grow up with that. These Mm -hmm. kinds of intentional conversations were not modeled for us. I grew up predominantly in, I guess, church spaces. And that's probably where I had the most interaction with mm. other Korean Americans. But but even then, we did not talk about things like racial injustice. You know, I learned most of it as an adult when I experienced microaggressions, when I w- went out mm. um, into the workforce. And then I suddenly realized how people will always see me as foreign. One mm-hmm. example was I was working in Michigan as a news anchor and I was at an event. It was a breast cancer event and, and a viewer came up to me and I was standing next to my boss and she came up to me to say hi. And then um, I think she meant to compliment me and said, you know what? The first time I saw you on TV, I turned to my husband and I said, oh my goodness, she's foreign. She's foreign, but her English is perfect. And my boss was so embarrassed and was doing this nervous laughter and apologizing to me after that viewer left. And I just said, oh, it's okay. And I brushed it off because to me, I didn't know then how to call that out or even make sense of it as she had good intent. But yeah, basically what she's saying is you are foreign. And that's so surprising that I could be a news anchor in this community. When for me, from my perspective, it was, no, this is what I've worked to do. I am born educated in the States, and then I've made myself a member of this community now to be a part of this community and to serve this community. And it was not seen as that at all. So I think it was my personal experiences and then realizing as a mom of kids now who are going to potentially experience the same thing. But I had heard about these microaggressions and subtle racism that my mom and my uncles experienced when they first came to the States and they Mm. were growing up in LA, you know, and to think that, oh my gosh, two generations later, my kids could also experience the same thing just because of us being Asian. Um, What am I going to do to equip them? You know, I think I took a lot of cues from my friends who had been doing this work Also, just realizing if I don't give them the language, if I don't help them make sense of it, who's going to help them make sense of it? Mm. Is it going to be their teachers? I don't think so because my teachers didn't for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think it really is just going to happen at home. That first conversation I had with my son, I think my daughter was too young really to kind of understand these concepts. Now she's getting to that age where I can have those conversations with her. But two and a half years ago when I was first having those conversations with my son, he had no idea of cultural or racial identity. And I had to explain to him what it means that we're Korean. And then over time also explained to him, you know, how that means we're also Asian and Asian American, what it means to be of 
both cultures. And I would say it started with a lot of, for me, awkward conversations. It's awkward out of the blue to say, hey, did you know that we are Korean? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you know, the food that we always eat, like, rice and kim and kimchi yet that that is korean food you know that's that's the food of our people and i think it was just starting little by little no that's really helpful really just breaking it down super simple and then you expand each time and and now as you post videos it just seems like it's understood that you're teaching them something and they know that and i think that's like really cool to see that practice was cultivated over time so i really respect you for that and i'm excited for the days that i can hopefully have those conversations when when they're of age to understand um, yes. slowly. Were there resources you used or was it just like your amazingness? Or no, well, I know you said not- that you were following cues of your friends that were kind of in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, any like small places that like kind of helped you bridge these gaps to know how to execute it well? Okay, the first book that I read specifically about having a conversation with my kids about racism was um, a kid's book about racism by oh, yes. Jelani Memory. And that was a book that came on my radar shortly following the murder of George Floyd because I had this realization that, my God, I need to have conversations with my kids about this. I am already woefully late to speaking up about this. And also, I already have kids. I already have school-aged kids who could be experiencing this and then not know, not have the language to talk about it. And so reading that with my kids as a starting point and then using that to say, hey, you know what, we are also of a different race, especially in America, we are also seen as other. What does that mean? And what could that look like? And then I I don't know that I would have had a conversation about anti-Asian racism, like specifically anti-Asian racism, were it not for what we've been seeing because Mm -hmm. of COVID. Because that was in the news, because that's what I was consuming and seeing and reacting to, I almost had to have that conversation with my kids. Yeah, those a kid's book about has so many different topics that really help guide you. So I'm actually really glad you brought that book up because it's a good resource I think for parents to be able to yes and I want to look up I'm sure you know of it too but the other resource specifically about COVID related anti-Asian hate was a book and actually it was a project by a couple of U of M grad students it's Young Proud Sungji it's an ebook specifically about fighting anti-racism during the pandemic it's in the form of a story of a young girl yes um, who experiences, you know, microaggressions and later in the story defends her friends and Mm. and says, hey, you know, it's not okay to blame people who are Asian or who are Chinese or who look Chinese just because, you know, the first cases of COVID were in China. And it was a very good resource that I shared with my kids' classroom teachers and other uh, community parents because it was pertinent 
And it helped, it helped kids understand why, because I think that was the most difficult question to answer, especially when, when the March shootings happened in Mm -hmm. Atlanta, right? And when my son was asking me, but why, why are other Asian, he says, hachis and harmis, right? Grandpas, (laughs) (laughs) the shortened version for harabajin harmonies, grandpas and grandmas, why are they being attacked? Yeah. Wow. It's amazing that these books are just available for kids, like kids books like these are available. You know why? It's like millennials writing yeah, them. Like right. people like, of our generation like, oh, who seriously. who did not have, we did not yeah. have those resources. Our parents didn't have those resources. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, it's I, wonderful. I, and it's teaching both the younger generation and the older generation. Right. Together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that even these are just pointed to, yeah, like you're saying, our generation who are just sharing these resources and then they can really impact our our kids and future generation. Because a lot of your platform is, right, API identity and just for you and how you parent, how you ally, not just in the form of parenting, but also, side note is, did you know Michelle Lee before? If she's a news anchoring or when she posts, because you and your son did the very Asian, like the dumpling. No, I did not. That's a good That's question. Because really, now I was like, oh, I wonder if they were connected or something. Like We were not, but I knew of her because uh-huh. I think she was an officer in um, the Asian American Journalist Association, which I was a mm-hmm. member of mm-hmm. when I was working as a journalist. So I knew her, I knew her name. Mm-hmm. And then actually she was still working in Seattle as a news anchor when we were in Seattle. And by the, by the time she... Um, you know, now she's in St. Louis. But uh, yeah, I didn't know her personally prior. When I saw that and was just like, oh my gosh, like this is ridiculous. But then I remember seeing even your post with your son eating dumplings and saying like, just your TikTok about it. And I was like, that was so fast. And that was just such a great way to just ally with her with the community and do it in such a relatable, not like tense way. Yeah. But I think those are the things I'm like, wow, that's a practice to have to be able to say that in small ways first so that you can also easily say it out loud when when these things are happening and involve your kids because it's not in an offensive way, but it's just like in a, oh, we love who we are and that's how we're sharing it. I was just really inspired by that. Yeah. You know, that triggered something in me, that video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I also, when I was a news anchor, I also right. shared like a Facebook photo, I think, of Tokmandukuk that I made. Mm. And I explained, hey, this is like traditional New Year's food in Korean culture. And I'm having it today. You know, like normally I miss my mom's, you mm. know, book. Here's mine. And it got a positive response. And to think that Michelle got that really, really passive aggressive. I've had so many of those viewer voicemails and it just really triggered something in me right. because of my background. And then we had just made dumplings the day before with the kids and they are so proud to do that you know there's a local bakery in our neighborhood and there they have um like a photograph of blueberry pies like pies being made but my kids thought it was mandu (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and so they're like oh are they making do they have mandu here are they making dumplings and I said oh no that looks like dumplings but it's a pie and I said yeah every culture has something like that (laughs) you know oh that's true (laughs) yeah so that's how you know it's like my kids are just learning starting to learn and embrace their culture and then uh, you just have to you just have to like clamp it down when you see something so ridiculous and then let them know it's okay to call that out Mm -hmm. so then how 
do you find a balance in this? In the sense of you're able to be vocal with the community. You're able to. I also saw when you traveled to Texas to meet up other TikTok moms and like have that ability to make this community into more than just like a scroll, but a connection really. How do you do all of that and then still find that balance to be like present at home and and also not have to worry like like you said, make sure it's for fun and not for something that can pressure you more otherwise. So now I think it's starting to look more like work um, Mm -hmm. because I am monetizing it in some Mm -hmm. ways, Um, not particularly the AAPI content, but um, just to sustain. And so I'll do some collaborations here and there that I think align with my values and things like that. Um, So it feels more like work. And with that, I do have to have boundaries. Right. So we went on spring break couple of weeks ago and I, I did no TikTok, mm. like nothing at all. And I, I told collaborations that were pending. I just said, okay, I'm out of town this week. I'm back here. So that's when you'll see content or, you know, we'll, we'll reconnect then. So I do have to set those boundaries. And I think balance is always going to be a struggle. I don't know necessarily that I can ever have balance. Yeah, some days it'll look like, you know, I'll be so productive and I'll be able to like film and edit during the hours where my kids are at school. And sometimes I just don't get that done or I'll have a moment of inspiration when the kids are home. So then I'll start to like get my ring light out and set up. And then my kids just know like, oh, are you going to be like doing a TikTok? Can we do this with you? And I'll say, oh no, I'm okay. I don't, um, this one's just mommy and they'll say okay and I'll say okay I need like 30 minutes I just need quiet you know (laughs) so you guys can do your iPads if you want so sometimes that's what balance looks like yeah um and other times balance looks like you know setting a boundary and saying Mm -hmm. like oh you know I'm out of town and then yeah it's really hard too I I don't want to be that person who's always on my phone you know it's it's a learning process Do you like that now it is more like work in the sense that you are able to kind of like going back to the beginning with your first year of stay at home transition and you were looking up jobs of remote work, right? And in a sense, this has become that. Like, how do you feel that while it's still fun, it also is a means of work while you're still able to be present and enjoy this time with your kids? Or does that feel like you wish it was back to the original state? It definitely feels like the best of both worlds, something mm-hmm. that I couldn't have imagined for myself back in 2019. I, I do feel very fulfilled in that I like creating content when I am inspired. Yeah. <laughs> when I feel like that's the thing with me is like I, I can't post or create anything unless I feel like it's warranted. I, I can't just, you know, I'm sure this goes for anybody, but any like let's say a writer for example, it's like they can only put out when they are inspired, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's kind of how I feel is, of course, I can't rely purely on efficiency where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, it would be wonderful if I had something to post or create in in batches and then Mm -hmm. release, Mm -hmm. you know, on a nice regular schedule and make sure that I have some content going even when I'm on break. But it doesn't happen like that. But I I think that's a a good thing because I now have the time and bandwidth to kind of do it at my own schedule and my own Mm -hmm. pace. So I'm trying very hard not to put that pressure on myself. But at the same time, it is good to have some kind of structure. 
Mm-hmm. And so what I've noticed is there have been busy seasons and quieter seasons. And then kind of how I see it is my content that kind of lives on my platform. That's going to be, I think, a steady presence. I want to continue creating that kind of content that speaks to my identity or culture, my life as a mom. And I want to ensure that I'm I'm staying true to who I am. And for me personally, it's almost like a diary or a release, almost a record of the funny moments in what seems like very fleeting, fleeting childhood, yeah. right? Of my kids. Yeah. So I do think it's both. It's, mm. It feels like work, but this wouldn't be the type of work that I would have ever imagined for myself three years ago. And also right now, I don't feel the need to be looking for work elsewhere because I've kind of, I think in this process realized, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be right now is Mm. first and foremost, I'm a parent and I'm so thankful that I've been able to stay at home during the pandemic because I I couldn't have planned for it or seen, seen it coming. And now that I'm here in this place, I'm not in any rush to jump back in. And then some of my working mom colleagues are quick to reinforce that, you know, and kind Mm. of tell me, Jane, don't rush it. Take all the time you need. So I find a lot of comfort in that. My husband, too, he's seen a a transformation in me. Mm. (laughs) He'll joke that my daughter... Um, broke me. <laughs> yeah, but like he he really yeah. saw the struggle of yeah. the conflict when when she was three, and it was just so difficult to just be with her. And she's still she's still the more more challenging of the mm. two. But in, in the process, like she, <laughs> I've really come around to love her. And to see her for who she is. And I'm so glad that I can be here like for her and and to just just enjoy her because I I, I, you know, next year she'll she'll be even more grown. And, you know, I love when like your loved ones, aka your husband can see that transformation in your spirit. And that's like a good indicator even of just that this is the right place for you and the right place for you. So that's really encouraging to hear as well. How are you so good at dancing? (laughs) Like, did you take class? I am not. I think I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's like good at it. I mean, Mm. like right now you're better than your kids. I mean, maybe one day they'll be better than you, you know? But I was always like, oh my gosh, she's like a cool mom that can actually like do all the dances. Oh, so that's you're just so a random side question. It, dancing was always a hobby of mine. And I mm-hmm. think I always enjoyed it. You know, it was something that my friends and I did in high school just for fun. You know, we always list um, before BTS, before Blackpink, we were going, you know, going to the video store to rent that week's like mm-hmm. Inkigayo, right? <laughs> And then um, we would learn the dances Mm. and do them and we would do like school talent shows and stuff. So it was always a hobby. And then I feel like everybody's good at dancing these days. Thanks to TikTok. I am not. But (laughs) but that's why I can watch and be like, wow, at other people. Um, Anything else you want to share just about the platform itself? I have a a few, like a couple mothering questions afterwards. But it's not just TikTok anymore. I I think even me, like you were talking about your strategy with Instagram. Not your strategy, but being able to share more through Instagram. And I think even I was like, 
even more drawn to that because I was also looking for you because TikTok for me is hard sometimes because mm-hmm. of the scrolling and other things. I would you forget so, who you're looking right? for. Right. And I'm like, so sometimes I'll go back to look for like the key people, but then other times I'm like, okay, I can't, I'm, I'm now watching something I did not know, you know? And so I did also try to look you up and I remember seeing like Enneagram posts and more personal reflections within that field even. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And, mm-hmm. and then that's how we connected initially. I was like, oh my gosh, she responded to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would just love to know if you have any other thoughts or reflections on the platform itself. Yeah, I think um, the platform is just a great place to learn and be introduced to topics and subjects that you wouldn't really have exposure to. Mm -hmm. And it makes um, information and new things so accessible. Mm -hmm. And so that's the value that I see in TikTok. And I think it was um, it was just a perfect storm that that huge growth happened for TikTok during the pandemic. And so many people found their outlet because yeah. it wasn't like, it's not like YouTube. There, There is a learning curve, but it was very low commitment. And mm-hmm. you could kind of do it on the spot wherever you were, as long as you had, you know, like a cell signal. And so I think that I still, I still love TikTok. I still rely on it to make recipes. I mean, the first thing I I look on, yeah, for any like Korean recipes, it used to be like Googling it, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so much more helpful when you see how it's done. Yeah. So I will search for it on TikTok and mm. see, oh, okay, like, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, sundubu, how do I make it? Or oimuchim, how that went viral. It's so crazy to be, and that's, that's also the beauty of TikTok is it makes so many people feel seen. Yeah. So many true. people who didn't feel seen before, right? And I'm not saying, you know, I have a ton of privilege as a Korean American, you know, who grew up in a a middle class, stable family, Mm. right? But I've learned so much about so many things. And I continue to learn about so many things. And you can go deep, you can find voices who are not the ones you're used to um, seeing or hearing from, because they are not like the white men typically Mm -hmm. that who are paid to do that kind of work. Mm. Yeah, it's just, um, there's always something new that I discover on TikTok. Yeah. And so it's not just this, you know, a lot of parents, I have a lot of, know of a lot of people who, you know, are like, oh my gosh, I, I would never, or I would never let my kid go on TikTok. And mm. I guess for me, that's a conversation, you know, I'll cross that bridge when right. I get there, when my kids become of that age to have their own social media. But I just think it's a place where, you know, you can find so much value. Yeah. And it's given creators so many like different pathways to discover what they're really great at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are your kids like, oh my gosh, my mom's a TikTok star? <laughs> or, or are you just, you know, it's, it, it doesn't phase them? It really doesn't phase them. However, once we came out of that remote schooling environment and we mm-hmm. went back to school in person, some of their friends were you know, we're saying things like, oh, um, you know, your mom is on TikTok or, you know, so, so that's true. That yeah. Helps. It's, that's kind of where their awareness came from. Cause before mm. then it was just some, they had no like frame of reference at all. Yeah. I don't really talk to them about, about TikTok. I mean, they know what it is and they like to watch my videos, but yeah, they, they don't think yeah. of it in that way. <laughs> 
So if we could focus on your kids and shift a little, just I'm preparing for a second child and just in general, like congratulations. One, your TikTok content shows just like they're super different, right? And like, I love that personality, even all the like the spicy versus non-spicy or food, the food ones are my favorite. But how was I guess that transition from one to two? Were you expecting it? They seem so close in age. What were some key takeaways from that? jump? Hmm. So it was difficult because we didn't expect it to be that close. Okay. And, you know, we didn't have any family around. So it was almost like a double whammy, like it became doubly hard. But I would say overall, it was a positive transition. You know, I think it's it's fascinating to see your older child learn Yeah, become like big brother, big sister Mm -hmm. and learn to accommodate a new family member. And Mm -hmm. that's just really rewarding to Mm -hmm. see. The challenge for, I think for anybody is holding space for both children. Mm -hmm. And I almost don't remember what my son was like in his toddler years because I was in kind of like newborn baby fog all over again. And then also, I mean, we very quickly learned that, okay, these two kids are going to be very different. Like their needs were different right off the bat. And then their personalities like were so different right off the bat. I think during the pandemic, I was super grateful that they had each other because we couldn't see anybody else. So that's where they kind of fought a lot, but they also learned to manage conflict, get over it, and then play with each other because they were their only playmates. What's like the change that you have to, because like there's a stage where it's just like keeping them alive. And there's a stage you're in now where it's like you have to communicate with them and like they're intaking everything. When do you feel like that difference in parenting had to happen for you guys? And which one do you like more? (laughs) <laughs> I would like to say I'm a much better kid mom than I am a baby mom. I don't well, clearly I don't, you're a great kid mom from no. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, they change so fast. So, mm-hmm. you know, my parenting now, you know, looks different from parenting at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. I think in the beginning of the pandemic, my kids still weren't fully able to like dress themselves even, mm-hmm. right? And and that is so different too. Now they're just so much more capable of making decisions that I was making for them, like such Mm -hmm. as, you know, what to wear. I can just say, oh, it's going to be like a little bit chilly today, you know, so wear like Mm -hmm. layers and like brush your teeth and, you know, things like that. Like just them taking some of that mental load off of you puts you in a different, like the next level of parenting. Also their, their ability to kind of understand things that are happening around them Mm. and noticing, noticing things. And when they start to ask you questions about the world around them. Actually, I was reading on your Myers-Briggs INTJ Mm -hmm. and it said that one of your parenting strengths is your ability to instill that critical thinking skill in your kids. And I was like, that makes so much sense even as I see it in like certain ways I'm like oh I bet she is instilling that in the communication (laughs) methods anyway so it's it's interesting how you can start seeing those behaviors from someone I just met today sometimes you know I forget that they are six and eight years old and then I realize oh you know what they probably you know I'm probably not explaining it to them in a way that they can understand or I need Mm. to even 
dumb it down further. And I think my personality too is I have a hard time just slowing down and taking a, a way more filtered approach to certain things. Right. You know, um, I don't always like explaining myself, but with kids, especially young kids, you need to. Like they, yeah. they can't make the connection from why I'm reacting in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. Or why that upset me or why mom is telling me no, like that's not okay. Then I have to go back several steps and explain to them. And I, mm-hmm. and sometimes for me, that I think that's one of my biggest shortcomings mm-hmm. is realizing, oh, they're not developmentally right. there yet. Yeah. So something that is so obvious to me is not obvious to them. And I need to help. It's like, you need to take that time. I know it's frustrating, but okay, let me take the time to help them make that connection. And then hopefully next time they will, you know, that will stick with them. That's good advice. For your listeners, and maybe particularly for the moms, because I do think even me, myself, just in general, there's like that struggle to find that sense of identity, not denying the fact that these kids are such a huge blessing, but also finding that self that you cultivated so much in before kids and you want to continue that foundation in. What kind of advice would you give to moms trying to find their own way as someone that is hopefully now on a place where, right, like things are more hopefully predictable at home. And so like then you can you can do that focusing on self a little more. Mm-hmm. I think the the one thing that I want to say to those moms is give yourself time and give yourself a lot of patience. And it's okay if you feel that you don't have a strong identity outside mm-hmm. of mom right now. Because sometimes that's what for for me, I think the most frustrating thing was feeling like I'm always needed mm. and my purpose is purely like utilitarian. Mm. I am needed for somebody else's survival. And other than like, why should I expect joy or fulfillment when I'm needed for survival, like the most basic thing? Right. And I think it's totally okay to feel that frustration. But then also to know that it is passing. It's not like a life sentence. (laughs) And I think it's really important to look for and seek community. Yeah. For me, part of finding and creating relatable content was it was a release. It was like, oh my gosh, it makes me feel better that I can talk about this. And, and know that I wasn't the only one. Yeah. It feels so much better that I can talk about how hard it is to like feed the kids and know that it's also an everyday struggle for like the mom next door or the mom like in a different country. Yeah. You know, telling me like that 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 is a true experience that mm. she goes through as well. And just encouragement that you will find those things, rediscover mm. your identity or new identities or new interests. For me, it was kind of a full circle moment where it was like, okay, I, I was working and working and working. And then I came to this critical point where I'm like, okay, no, no, no. I Right now I need to be home because I, I can't do it all right now. Yeah. And then being like unfulfilled because I'm not great at home right. or not as great as I expected yeah. or wanted to be. But then through that process 
learning like, oh, okay, it's okay. The kids don't expect perfection from me and Mm -hmm. I shouldn't expect perfection from me. And then you're kind of growing and evolving together. They're not, the kids are not always going to be like two years old. They're not always going to not be able to toilet themselves. Um, They're not always going to be able, you know, be like super messy at mealtimes. And once those things start to kind of lift a little, you do get a little bit more bandwidth to even think about like, what, what is it that I liked or what do I want to get back into, you know? And for me, it was kind of all kind of um, together, but like, you know, one thing was getting back into working out and finding a rhythm and, you know, even just to have that hour to myself. So hard to get up in the morning, but I'm like, no, no, no. If I don't, if I don't take this hour, then I'm just going to be bitter for the rest of the day yeah. <laughs> for missing my workout. And then also going to like, you know, falsely blame the kids for making me so tired that I couldn't wake yeah. up to like go work out. But Monday mornings are are one of the times that I go to work out. And I notice, oh, I always joke to my husband, like Monday mornings after my workout is when I'm the most motivated, right? Mm. So then I'll come home and I'll want to, you know, start the kids week off with a really good breakfast. And, mm. you know, I feel all this energy. And then as the week goes on, I get less and less motivated, <laughs> yeah. recharge over the weekend and then start it again. <sighs> Yeah, for those moms struggling with identity, I think just to know that, you know, that they're not alone in that struggle. And so it's it's really important to make friends and find connection. It can be on social media, right? Yeah. If, if you don't have, you know, a lot of moms don't have the time or ability to make friends and build relationships outside of the home, especially when they're raising small kids and a lot of a lot of patience and grace for yourself. Mm-hmm. for yourself because you have to have that before before you can even have Extended, that for yeah. <laughs> somebody else yeah that's so true yeah uh, that's very good advice think and I think just not just advice but also just real talk of certain things of you sharing emotions that I have felt all in one week and so it's it's like you mentioned earlier just so nice to know that that's not just you alone feeling those things um, mm-hmm. and it's okay to feel those things yeah Okay, so we're going to wrap it up. I have a few random questions. One being, if you were to be a fruit, what would you pick or what would you be and why? A watermelon because Um, I love watermelon. It's probably my favorite fruit. You never know what you're going to get, right? You kind of, and you have to kind of fully commit to the yeah. watermelon before you find out. That's kind of how I am oh, with people. That's true. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's kind of how I am with people. Is like I have to if I know that you are like really committed to getting to know me, then I can let them in kind of. Mm. But to everyone else kind of it's like hard exterior, I think. Mm. You know? That's also kind of yeah, my person my Enneagram 6. Yeah, that's what I was about and, to be like. I was like, "Oh, yeah. that, that's the Enneagram <laughs> 6 coming out. I can see that or I can feel that." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like a perfect I feel like I know a couple Enneagram 6 moms and I don't know if they would listen or if they are, but I feel like, "Oh, watermelon. That's a good example. I like that." <laughs> Okay, so then I'm going to have some rapid fire questions just to close it off. Just little questions with whatever the first answer is that comes to your mind. And then we will close this time. What is your biggest pet peeve about social media? Uh, Troll comments. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about. Oh, that should be a (laughs) home. What is your favorite childhood memory? 
Oh my gosh, I have a lot, but I think just hotel vacations mm. with my family. I think my parents were really good about that. We we really didn't need much, but as long as we had a pool and a hotel, like a different scene to <laughs> be, that was that was enough. And so I kind of try to remember that when I'm planning vacations for the kids. Like they don't need like a lot of pizzazz, mm, but yeah. Hotel breakfasts. I, love. I know. I know. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to do hotel breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> One meal for the rest of your life. What would it be? Oh my goodness. It would probably be Solongtang. Mm. Yes. With the kimchi inside of it or no is that the one um right? or kaktugi oh kaktugi yeah kaktugi on the side but on not side. in my soup in it. yeah mm. i feel like there's two types of people and that would be one of them <laughs> what is your favorite family holiday tradition for you for for us for mm-hmm. we're still building traditions we do like we started doing like making dumplings for new year's mm-hmm. day and so i think that left a really strong impression on the kids and um i really like that and we like quiet holidays that's very rare but that's good to have <laughs> and these are just some quick questions about your family of four and you can just say most likely to which one in your family is most likely to get away with murder um besides the murder part like yeah you know ruby my daughter oh okay oh i didn't i don't think i ever knew their names that's so pretty <laughs> um jump off a moving train Oh my gosh, not, not no one. No one. No one. <laughs> you taught them well. <laughs> um, to be on a reality show. Probably me. Mm-hmm. Most sarcastic. Probably me. Okay, most athletic. My husband. Which one would be most willing to bungee jump? Oh, uh, no. me, yeah. <laughs> maybe Ruby. <laughs> maybe Ruby. <laughs> yeah. But my yeah. son is also probably an Enneagram 6. Oh, I highly suspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think he would do that. (laughs) Uh, Most creative. Um, my son. Yay! Everyone got an answer. Yay! I would love. (laughs) I I think I'm excited to know that about your kids and and your family. Um. Oh, last question was: What is your proudest accomplishment? Oh my goodness! It's probably the kids having the kids and Mm. raising them. It's such a cliche answer. No, I mean, but that's that's good to hear. With I feel like there's just so much you've been able to accomplish and it's always like an encouraging thing to be reminded that the kids really are at the top of it all I know it's like you you I think every parent like once you become a parent you hope that your kids are like just a much better version of yourself or you know you just you just hope you're raising good humans to be in the world yeah and I see it in my kids like classmates and friends Mm. and it it does make me hopeful Well, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram and on TikTok as Jane Parr Kang, um, J-A-N-E-P-A-R-K-A-N-G. And that reminds me, I don't think I ever addressed the name confusion. (laughs) So my name is Jane Park, but my husband's name, last name is Kang. Mm -hmm. And I never took his last name because I was, you know, working professionally and I didn't Mm -hmm. think Jane Kang sounded as good as Mm. Jane Park. I didn't want to let go of Park. But then on on social media, when I got Instagram, I decided to merge the names just for 
Instagram just to know that like, oh, hey, like this is Jane Park, the one who married Ben Kang. And then um, when I hopped on TikTok, I just used the same username and it just stuck. So I get a lot of confusion. Like people think I'm, my last name is Park Kang. That's true. (laughs) Or just Kang. Yeah. Yeah. Or I've also gotten Jane Park Ang. (laughs) oh yeah lots of lots of different like um configurations so jane par kang is where you could find me if you have not already followed i promise you guys will enjoy it greatly i feel like i learned so much and yeah i really appreciate you coming on i don't know i follow like a very few mom influencers or whatnot but I just really appreciated you for the specific content you carry. And I'm really excited to continue to see how that goes for you. So one of my friends, even when you posted a video of your haircut, I don't know him, but my friends know him. And I was like, oh my gosh, do you know, does Joe, like, do you know her? Because Joe knows her and stuff. And like, I was just very like excited because I feel like there was connections and stuff. So I still can't believe that. You're like the only one I really fangirled about. And the fact that you could come on here and talk just means a lot. So I really appreciate that you would do that for oh, some random you. person. Um, no, you're not random person. Like I, I love and enjoy one of the best things about social media is being mm-hmm. able to connect um, specifically with other Korean American moms. And I think that's just such a privilege for me, you know, and I love it. I, I just love it because of course my two closest friends are um, Korean American and, and mm. we share a lot and, you know, they help me process and a lot of my experiences, but to be able to kind of expand that to other Korean American moms that I'm meeting through social media is so, so special. So yeah, thank you, Unji. And I will be even more tuned into your content too, because I, I did notice like, you know, you were in that space as well you know talking about culture and identity and um, Mm. I'm so glad you reached out because I was interested in in knowing more about that yeah well appreciated this time and I will let you if there's any time left to go back to the kids let you enjoy that thank you for those that are listening and I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did and I will see you next time on Kohler Commentary I am so grateful to have had this chance to sit down and hear Jane reflect on her unique journey. It was a refreshing reminder that both working moms and stay-at-home moms have it incredibly tough and that the little years are truly not forever. So let's cherish the good and the hard in whatever season we are. Since recording this episode, so many devastating events have occurred in our nation, and it is important now more than ever to work towards equipping ourselves with the language and the tools to be and to raise good humans in our society. Thank you, Jane, for empowering yourself and guiding your kids to understand, process, and speak up for a better tomorrow, even when some days it seems nearly impossible. Happy AAPI Heritage Month to you all. If you loved this episode as much as I did, make sure to rate it five stars and subscribe so you never have to miss another episode again. Go to at Kohler Commentary to comment your key takeaways and join the email list to share what you want to hear about next. Thanks for listening.